0: Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from
1: the Diocese of Sioux City.
0: What? Where the hell is Sioux City?
1: Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty.
0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. Father Shane, I have a question for you. Yes. Have you sm- <laughs> spent much time on the high seas? No. <laughs> no. I. <laughs>
1: no. I. I went uh, saltwater fishing once off the course, coast of North Ca- South Carolina.
0: Oh, okay. That's really relevant to what we're going to talk about. So that's.
1: We hadn't even caught the bait fish yet. Between, <laughs> I mean, because you have to catch the bait fish. Oh,
0: you catch the bait fish. They don't just have a tank with bait. No.
1: Well, at least this outfit. We were uh, just going to catch the bait fish. And then we were going to use the bait fish to go catch like a the marlin big, or whatever. Boys, yeah. Um, we hadn't even caught the bait fish and I was puking over the side. I get, Whoa. I get very seasick. Wow. I had a lot of family members and friends who were also getting seasick. Oh, and man. at a certain point, my dad said, here's your money. We're all just going in. <laughs> we didn't even catch the bait fish. <laughs> and we not? went back into Harbor. Wow. Not so a it was, it was a major flop. <laughs> that was my one experience. On deep okay. Sea well, I hope this doesn't water I fishing. I hope what
0: I'm about to tell you, uh, for the sake of, uh, what i've been really into the last like three days doesn't trigger you in any way to uh feel seasick again i hope not so give me my um, dramamine shout out to your campus minister lexi who showed me one of my favorite movies now oh okay so it's called it's a big claim it's called fisherman's friends have you heard about it uh no okay great. other than lexi briefly
1: mentioned it but i don't know anything about it okay i
0: didn't know anything about it until a week ago okay so it's from, it was, it was released in 2019. What's unclear to me is why it's just free on YouTube. So it's not that old, but it's just free on YouTube. All right. So it is uh, recounting in a cinematic way a true story of fishermen in, in Cornwall, England, right? The southern mm-hmm. tip in Port Isaac, who um, just fishermen who sing sea shanties, who sang locally in their little pub for years. Then eventually, I think um, Universal Records picked him up in 2010. So this is kind of recounting their story in the context of like a charming rom-com uh, movie. Okay, But just like these sea shanties that these guys sing are so good. And they're, real, they're, they're a real group that, that, the, that the actors are portraying. So you go on Apple Music and there's all of their sea shanties. So I have four of them just stuck in my head right now from driving up to Sioux City here. Uh, down to Sioux City rather. Mm. Um, so it's just wonderful. But maybe it's not as good as it it seems because if if it results in seasickness, that's not a good.
1: Well, I think I can watch the film without getting seasick. I don't know. I've been to some IMAX theaters and I survived. But you might,
0: well, (laughs) in the movie, this isn't a spoiler for anybody because you could assume what happens. The guy from London who comes, who who ends up there because of a bachelor party, he ends up going on the boat at one point and is um, experiencing much of what you experienced um, off of the shore of South Carolina. Well, Fisherman's I think it's friends. It's a free movie on YouTube and it's, it's such a charming and you love it. I love it so much. I think there's something, there's something about the, yeah, like all, all male voice sea shanties mm. that are just very, um, uh, just good. Yeah.
1: Um, it kind of reminds me, I had, I had the opportunity once to go to a Manchester United soccer game. Oh. In England. Uh, which is an experience in and of itself.
0: Much better than puking off the <laughs> coast of South Carolina, I would say,
1: probably. Probably. I, I Sli- yeah, slightly better. Um, but well, you mentioned these Cornwell men. Cornish. Cornish men yeah. singing together. It was fascinating being at a Manchester Man U game because um, the men, you could look around the stadium, it was, it was predominantly men at uh-huh. this soccer game. And... As I looked very carefully, it almost looked like grandfather, father, grandson, grandfather, son, grandson, you know, just periodically just yes. scattered throughout. You know, so you could tell there was kind of this intergenerational thing of men going together to cheer on, to cheer on their city team. And what was so fascinating is they did have some cheers, but they had a lot of singing, mm. like uh, like official songs um my mic just seems really hot today <laughs>
0: here. you're going for the switch i thought you're just like and i'll play one for you right now no. like, whoa, you already pre-recorded no. a, a man you song into the soundboard
1: i did not i'm not it's that incredible. good um just little hot mic today here um it was very moving to hear a whole stadium of men singing and it wasn't just chanting it wasn't just like a cheer USA. USA. you yeah, No. no 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 this was an actual song with a melodic line uh-huh. And th- and there was kind of a a, patriot, a patriotism surrounding this these songs that they were singing, and I and I can imagine some of that, um, some of that English culture That's was it. was what is present exa- in this movie. That's exactly you know. It. Well,
0: this this fishing outfit has a grandfather, father, and a son mm-hmm. situation. Um, it's it's good. It's just really wholesome. Right. Um, it's wonderful. So watch it, Fisherman's Friends. Uh, if there's anything weird in the movie, I don't you know condone that, but it's really good. It's wholesome. Um speaking of like <laughs> very virile men um this topic comes from uh man the guy in lamar's danny my buddy um he actually came to uh one of the regional synod meetings we had mm-hmm. he came to actually both the parish based one and the regional synod meeting if you're listening to this and have no idea um that there's this kind of um groundswell synod movement that pope francis globally, is globally yeah globally right now um well listen in because it's kind of cool. So you probably know better than I do. Father Shane, how often are these um, synods that kind of produce a post citadel document? Like every few years in Rome.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's kind of depended on topics. Sometimes there's a special synod for a pressing issue that comes up. It's usually every three to five years. There's a synod going on in Rome. There was a synod on the Eucharist. There was a synod on scripture.
0: Um, was there a synod on um, priestly formation that ended up becoming Pastores Dabo Vobis, or was that just a JP two kind of? I don't like remember out of the document. Well, what'll happen with these for for our listeners? What'll happen is that so like big giant like Second Vatican Council is like a like synod par excellence of like bringing together many many bishops. Um, kind of the synodal aspect of the church is that early on we had these cities in the east, especially. Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, uh, Rome eventually, where their bishops were proper pastors of their local churches. But if they'd come together for a council or some kind of synodal meeting, it's kind of recognizing the authority that each of these men have. But how can we work together as the College of Bishops? Sure. So this is exercised now with these synods. They'll get like kind of a select group of bishops, talk about a topic, and then the the Pope usually comes out with a Post-synodal exhortation, mm-hmm. a d- different document or something. Well said. So this is this one. The joke is that it's called the Synod on Synods because it's a synod about the synodality of the church, of coming together and sharing um, voices, opinions, concerns, different things like that from the ground level. So the invitation and our diocese has responded pretty pretty generously. Yeah, very robustly. Yeah, robustly that. Every parish, for the most part in our diocese, has had some kind of synod meeting with these kind of— um,
1: Preemptive questions. Yep. To kind of guide the discussions.
0: Yep. Who's the church? Where do you see the church needing to reach out to? What are some problems in the church? What is the church doing well? Things like that. So we had our parish, but then we're having in each deanery or like little grouping of parishes in our diocese, these um, regional meetings where the bishop came and some of his staff came. Same questions were asked, but just to see a larger group of people. One of the questions that was asked um, at our deanery meeting, well, it's asked all over the place, but is who is the church? Who do you see as members of the church? And um, who speaks for the church? That was part of it. Um, Who's being left out of the church? So it was kind of ecclesiological in nature of this question. And Danny and I met up for coffee uh, just recently, and and he was kind of riffing on this, and he said, hey, he's a, he's a, a... you know, devout listeners to the podcast. So, shout out to Danny. Well mm-hmm. done for listening so often. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in so so frequently here yeah. at Outcast Catholic. Um, but he just had a, a really, um, I think, encur- encouraging but challenging at the same time kind of message uh, that he he was really feeling passionate about. That this idea that who's the church? Well, so often it's easy for for Catholics or non Catholics, the disaffiliated or the devout. To point the finger at somebody else and say, "Well, you're the one in charge of the church, right?" So my pastor, well, he's the reason that things aren't going well at this church, you know. when the other pastor was there; it was better, but this pastor, you know, that's he's the he's the problem, um, or he's or it's or it's good. Like the church is thriving because we have this priest or this chaplain or this guy. Um, or to kick it back to the bishop, right? And I think everybody felt that recently with the COVID pandemic stuff, and especially with in our diocese, parish mergers and closures and things like that. It's very easy to point to was the bishop's fault or not that long ago just a few years ago now another round of um sexual scandal in the church Mm -hmm. it's easy to point at, oh the church are those bad priests or those bishops or those seminary formators who let this all this stuff happen well thankfully danny kind of has this intuition he's um only been a catholic for four years now Mm -hmm. and he kind of realized he's like no like i'm the church (laughs) and and in in a beautiful ecclesiological theological way um And I was sharing with him, Lumen Gentium is the Second Vatican Council's document on the church, makes so clear that everybody, by virtue of our baptism, is called to holiness. It's called to be a member of the body of Christ, the church. But he was making really um, a great point, just very practical, that a a non-Catholic, a Protestant, or a disaffiliated Catholic, their experience of the church is most likely you. Like, who's ever listened to this? Like, Yeah. They're
1: not encountering the Pope or the no, Bishop. No,
0: no, no, I think a perfect example, of my I guess some family members who who left the Catholic faith, they're devout Christians now, but like their only experience of Catholicism was St. Column Kills, Catholic Church, Varina, Iowa, population 65. And <laughs> was it those, I mean, sure, do they probably go to a couple other random parishes, you know, on a vacation or something? Yes. But the Catholic Church for them was this parish. And the parish wasn't just the priest because the priests move, they change. The, the experience of Catholicism for, for my family members was exclusively these people in this church, right?
1: Mrs. is Thistlebottom in row three and all of that. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. A Betty Westmoreland, in fact, was okay. in row three. But okay, yeah, sorry. Just, at least since you're asking, yeah, yeah. i tell you. Um, but yeah, just just to realize that it's very easy to point the finger, say, well, the problem lies with with you, the bishop or the priest or whoever. And it's easy for us to do the same thing as priests, to say, well, the problem lies with this guy or that guy or this guy. No, if if we like take into account that we are the church, we are the body of Christ, and that when others encounter us, um, as a very popular liturgical song goes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Sure. <laughs> but I think in the same way, like, um, no, like we represent what it means to be a Catholic Christian to everyone who's outcast, who we're always talking about on this podcast. Father, I don't want to share my faith. Mm.
1: Father, I want to hide in the corner. Father, I don't know how to defend the Bible out in public when someone attacks me. Father, what am I going to say about all these scandals? You mean okay. I have to be a representative of my baptismal promises? How dare you. Right.
0: And this is where Danny who's in the <laughs> military and has big jacked arms, he's like, "Yes, absolutely. Yes, it has to be you because if it's not you, who else is there?" Yeah.
1: I mean the the amount of for all of our listeners out there, particularly among the laity, Add up the amount of minutes you spend around the clergy every year, like actually encountering them, not just seeing them up like at the pulpit or at the altar, but like actually encountering them, you know, a handshake here before mass, a goodbye there after mass, maybe a random encounter in a restaurant, <laughs> you know, but like how much time have you actually spent with the clergy, let alone, you know, a bishop or a pope, right? So your experience of church is is largely you know, formed and modeled by, you know, the fellow laity around you. And the gospel that you bring to the streets, to your business places, the marketplaces, schools, hospitals, wherever, um, that is largely impacted by your, your just your witness alone and what the world sees. So if the world thinks that Catholicism is irrelevant and is dying, well, <laughs> at least in this diocese, you know, like 48 active priests in northwest Iowa are not necessarily going to be capable of turning that around. Mm -hmm. But like a hundred thousand Catholics in this diocese can, and can literally go light the world on fire.
0: Right. And I know there's, um, and this is where the priest could probably be, you know, encouraged and maybe brought to task a little bit with like, I do think the synod meetings also showed how hungry Catholics in any age group, but especially of adults, right? There was some, I mean, there weren't a lot of young people there, which was pretty, evident of the issue of young people being invested in the church but there was such an awareness of every age group of adults that there needs to be some kind of adult formation in the faith there needs to be call what you want small groups discipleship groups formation discipleship formation evangelization in the parish community that's being built these are the things that always get brought up when people have an opportunity to talk about their parish um so yeah like People are, are, in some ways, I think, waiting around hungry for opportunities to receive formation in the faith, and I hope that um, we priests can can see that and can make some moves for that to happen, but I've also noticed that people are kind of waiting around for the priest to do something, mm-hmm. for the priest to do something, um, and I've seen recently a, two, a few different examples where lay people have just completely taken an initiative and just rolled with it, and it's it's excelling and it's doing so much better than what I could have done Mm -hmm. because they're the ones with connections Mm -hmm. and they're the ones who have these wonderful um, friendships and relationships established with lots of trust over decades of people that they've sat and watched countless baseball games with, you know, it's like that is where real evangelization gets to happen. Um, I would love to help walk with people so that they could be encouraged and equipped to to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you guys can do it. (laughs) Like, that's what I always want to want to say. Um, but I think so many people are just kind of waiting around for, for Father to do something mm-hmm. because that's our job.
1: Yeah, I th- we've kind of hit on some of these points in, in previous episodes that in the empowerment of the laity to kind of run with things, it doesn't have to be moderated by a staff member in the parish hall. No one needs a theology degree to actually build community uh, among parishioners of all different age groups. But, you know, just getting back to this this synod topic, I'm very proud of our diocese for the efforts that they've taken mm-hmm. Um, to have individual deanery meetings in every parish, and then to collaborate that information and come to larger regional meetings by deanery of our four deaneries. And then that's going to be culminating in April with a great big diocesan meeting inviting representatives of all parishes, all clergy, to come together and really analyze where are we at in the in the life of the church right now and what are we really hungry for, where do we find that the Holy Spirit is really animating um, some new initiatives, some new ideas, and, and where can that zeal continue to grow? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, all of that information from our diocese and every other diocese gets spent, sent on to the National Bishops' Conference, and that gets collated and uh, compiled into another document that goes on to Rome. Mm-hmm. So it really is a kind of a global effort to let the, the church speak uh, as much as possible. And in that, I, I think we're we're finding kind of a, a sense of healing you know, especially in this diocese where we've merged so many parishes uh, due to the large collapse of rural life, you know, across America, but especially here in Northwest Iowa. Cars, combines, contraception. That's we right. Talked about that early on. Check Hold out on. that episode, folks. Um, I, I think just gathering people once again to talk about where are we going and what initiatives need to be on the horizon, I think that's giving people a lot of hope and it's helping our healing process here in this diocese but that also gets back to your original point that Danny brought up like, you are the church. You know, you, in the sense that you represent in your baptismal promises what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You're obviously not each of us are the Pope, you know, and not mm-hmm. each of us are the vicar of Christ on earth in terms of like juridical authority in the church, but certainly in your sacramental witness uh, to be a living saint out there to say, no, I actually do have to represent Jesus. Like, I have died to my old self, as St. Paul says, and I have put on Christ. That's what it means to actually be a, a, a full witness of him yeah, and to live out those baptismal promises. And if every single person is doing that, then how we encounter Catholicism should actually be a very engaging thing.
0: Yeah. A great example I'm just thinking of uh, in a different way with like, I think people would assume that... Um, oh, man, if a, if a Catholic priest and a Reformed pastor or a Lutheran pastor got together, I bet they'd just argue about all sorts of stuff, you know, because they they know all the stuff that they disagree about. I just uh, ended up finally meeting up with who I'd heard about a lot, uh, the Lutheran pastor in Lamars at the ELCA church. And I, it was just funny because I knew a lot of his parishioners. I'd met a lot of people. I'd heard his name quite a bit. There's a fun connection. He used to live in West Point, Nebraska, where Father yeah. Taylor's from. So, But we met up, and then we met up for a beer later at the brewery and we had a wonderful time talking. And what's funny is I think sometimes we consider these titles, Lutheran, Catholic, and oh, okay, when you think of that, you think of some big entity or something with a lot of different, I think, things. But when two, when two Christians, when two disciples of Jesus um, get together and when they share openly and honestly, it's beautiful to see what the Holy Spirit can do. Um, it was obvious. We didn't even need to say it. Like we knew what the theological differences were between the two of us. Mm -hmm. But we could relate on so many different helpful levels about ministry and formation in the seminary and what's happening in our parish communities and things like that. And that was just hopeful because I think the same thing can happen with, with lay Catholics is that, yeah, there's a lot of people who can think a lot about, you know, big C, bad Catholic church who's out there somewhere in this vague, you know, ethereal world. But what do they think about you? Right? Are you their friend? Um, do you know how to speak in, in some way? It doesn't. You don't have to be a theologian, mm-hmm. but can you speak um, succinctly about the faith that you, that you believe? Um, Danny and I were having another conversation. That question comes up so often about, well, how are we supposed to share the faith with our children? How are we supposed to spread the faith? How are we supposed to spread the faith? I think what we've seen for a few generations now is Catholics know how to keep doing the same Catholic things, like going to Mass and, you know, sacramentalizing their, their families, keeping their devotions going, keeping their devotions going. But like, when have we actually told our family members, parents, when have you told your children, um, why this is important for you? Mm -hmm. It's really good to show by example, but to actually share like, yeah, this is actually what, what a relationship with Jesus has met with me in my life. Mm -hmm. This is where I've struggled with it. This is where it's helped me in so many different ways. Um, if that could start in in homes, then it wouldn't be so scary to do that with your friends. Mm -hmm. But that's how we represent who we are as the church. And that's how, hopefully, as we're seeing through the Synod, that's how the church could actually grow in our diocese and maybe even Australia and Sweden or whoever is listening to this podcast today.
1: (laughs) Well said. Well, to any of our listeners who are still, you know, enjoying or undertaking the, the Synod process in their home diocese, get involved. If there's a regional meeting, if there's a local parish meeting,
0: Get involved and let your voice be heard. And even if you don't think that the Pope's going to get the, oh, well, it's all going to be consolidated, the fact that Catholics are coming together and talking about these really important topics, mm-hmm. that's worthwhile. That's worthwhile just for your parish. Absolutely. Yeah. And and
1: that could be a little catalyst to say, all right, as I, as I talk about my faith in a comfortable context with other Catholics, as we just talk about the, the future of our diocese and our local parish, use that as a springboard to say, I'm finding my legs, I'm finding my vocabulary to talk about my faith more publicly with others to be able to leave these synod meetings and to go be the church for others that I encounter who are desperately in need of Jesus.
0: Absolutely. Father Travis, always good to be with you. Likewise, Father Shane. Everybody, keep, uh, keep praying for those outcasts out there and uh, share your faith because you are the church. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.